Okay, yes, the song is absolutely brilliant, and we're going to take just a couple of minutes, 25 minutes to be precise, not more, maybe less, uh, to try to unpack this song. There's a lot here, there's a lot here, and there is, <laughs> there is a lot here in this song, um, and uh, Svi Berkowitz and Eri Sorrell used to, Eric and Kipper, there was no Seder, we used to go into one of the classrooms, we used to unpack the Mishnayis of, I think it was the Mishnayis, I believe, maybe actually from... I forget exactly. I think it was the Mishnayis of, of Yoma, just going through the Avodah, using that as a source. Well, he was Lahavdil, maybe, I don't know, but I think in some ways, in some ways higher, but, you know, um, some ways not. He used the Avodah as Rabbi Brown, who probably got it from the same person that he got it from, did it from the Master. From the Master. Maybe it's from the, I don't remember what it was from. They both got it from the same person. Uh, to me, this is the best place, because to me, this completely, completely changed. I, it's the first in Kippur, obviously, since this song came out, but I'm, I'm very, very excited to uh, to read the Avodah, to follow along as the Chazan goes to the Avodah, uh, because of the song, and we'll just use this song as a Pesach, as a as an entryway, as a framework to thinking about the Avodah. So a number of points, and uh, we'll just jump in from the beginning. So, Nichnas makom nichnas, ve'amad b'makom she'amad, right? So that's actually a paraphrase from the Mishnah. Uh, there's a number of places, there's something very unique about the Avodah on Yom Kippur, and that is, I mean, the specific line is taken from the Kohen Gadol goes and slaughters the animal, catches the blood, okay, someone's basically mixing the blood, but that basically leaves the blood, goes, brings the Ketores into the Kodesh HaKadashim, goes back, grabs the blood, and then he goes back to the place that he was just standing there. And and really the entire Avodah on Yom Kippur is that sequence of going forward, going back, going forward. It's basically he starts something, he stops it, he goes back to it, he goes forward, he goes back to what he started, and it's constantly, there's this constant back and forth. And I, I never thought about it until recently, but it would presumably is a reflection of the Chiba process. There is a sense of starting somewhere and then completely moving away from that place and then returning to that place. Just to give you know a beautiful uh, story I recently just read from a uh, rabbi, I'm blanking on his name. He described that he had a, he had a daughter who was, um, he had some trouble with and uh, he eventually sent her to on one of these wilderness groups and the last day of this wilderness camp, one of these intense camps, uh, the last day of the camp, they went on this overnight journey. They were supposed to go in small groups. It was supposed to be a one-day thing on their own in the wild. Bottom line is an unexpected storm came and they spent four days out there and finally a helicopter saved them and his daughter ended up saving one of the kids' lives by they had hypothermia and like she like lay on this person to like keep them warm. This wild amazing story and he says she came back and she was like a totally like she came back on Friday and Shabbos was like unreal and she was like so connected to them and so loving and completely completely different person. And then Matzah Shabbos, she went back to whatever it was that she was doing. Went out, hung out with her friends, did whatever it was that she was doing, okay? And so he said, you know, his initial gut reaction was, wow, like this did absolutely nothing. And then he describes how six months later or seven months later, all of a sudden, just seemingly out of the blue, she's back to where, you know, she's back to that Shabbos, so to speak. There was a change, but sometimes it takes a while for that change to actually be manifest. So sometimes we're taking these steps forward and we think nothing actually happens, but we're able to more easily come back to that place because we were once there. And similarly, the Kohen God, it doesn't just say he, he left and then he goes back to the place. No, it's Dafka, the fact that he goes to the place that he was once standing because once we've broken forward, once we've broken new ground, we're able to return to that place in a much easier fashion. And that is one underlying theme of the entire Avodah of Yom Kippur. Okay. Rachat Yadav, Vraglav, Taval. 
Right? He goes and he, he goes to the mikvah, washes his hands, his feet, and he dries up. He goes to the mikvah five times during the avoda of, the, of Yom Kippur. Um, there's this notion, obviously, the mikvah represents tahara, represents rebirth, um, a sense of basically going back into the mother's womb and going underwater and being, be re-experiencing that rebirth. But this notion of him doing it over and over again reflects, obviously, the in our own Avoda of Yom Kippur during the davening, we have the similarly five times the five Shemona Esrays that we're able, that we constantly are revisiting. We're constantly going back to time and time again. You know, some of the, some of the commentators do ask about the, the constant, the repetition of it. There is a halacha that we have, we have an obligation to believe in the process of tshuva. And not believing in the process of tshuva, at least according to Rabbeinu Yonah, is... Uh, in some ways, uh, takes away from the process of tshuva. It may, almost, almost makes it ineffective if we don't believe in it. And therefore, there's a lot of discussion if we're even allowed to go back to old chatayim. If we're allowed on this Yom Kippur to repent for sins from the Yom Kippur before. But clearly on Yom Kippur itself, we're saying vidoy really five, but really ten times, right, through the Chazor HaShashat, we're constantly revisiting the same sins of this year, right? So this notion of going back to it over and over again, the, the Mepharshim do suggest that as the time goes on, we're obviously getting to a much deeper place. We're getting to a place where, yes, it's the same chait, but as we grow, as we grow in our purity, then we're able to appreciate what we did wrong from a whole different perspective, right? You could apologize to someone for doing something wrong, and then as you mature, you're like, oh, I realized I actually offended them in a completely different way, and I didn't appreciate it the first time around. So there's this constant growing. Okay, fine. That, that's a, a sidebar. Again, he continues that, um, that theme of going back to the places that he was coming from. Okay, he takes off his weekday clothing. We'll come back to that terminology. And he puts on white clothing. Right? We know begadim play a very significant role in the avoda of Yom Kippur. Um, and we'll come back to the particulars of the big day lavan and the big day zahav and taking them off, which, which plays a role. But just the notion of clothing, um, clothing is external. It's almost superficial. There is what's a question if why we even have such a focus on begadim at all. But again, clearly it plays a role. Um, but there is this idea, specifically, and I was recently speaking to someone who was... Uh, felt very broken over the fact that they felt that they were a faker. They felt like everything they were doing was just not consistent, not real. But Rav Tzaddik beautifully puts it. He says, when it comes to personal growth, the only way to grow is to fake. He says, there is, by definition, we are aspiring to be something else, right? And the whole notion of begadim, of putting on these clothing, that's how many understand the notion of the clothing in general, the clothing of the Kohen Gadol is to create a bar and that the Kohanim should basically live up to. That's the idea. It's not expressing a reality. It's basically aspiring to something. It's giving them something to aspire to. And in Yom Kippur specifically, yeah, we fake it. You know, this whole notion of Chal of Yisrael and Pas Yisrael, whatever. People have different menhagim that they're strict about certain things or hopefully we're on our best behavior a little bit during these days. It's not faking. It's our aspiration. And, and the hope is that eventually we catch up to it. But the only way to grow is to lie, is to fake. And, and the clothing represents that. Okay. The Kachaya Omer, and this is what he would say, Ana Hashem kaper lechataim shechatasi lefanecha. Right? Forgive me for all the sins and chait, avon, pesha. Right? This is, we're going to say this in the Avoda on, on, in, in the, on Yom Kippur morning. Chait uh, is the mistake. Avon is deliberate. A pesha, according to many, is a rebellion. It's when we're really aware of Hashem and we are still uh, still going ahead and doing it, right? Sometimes we are good at shutting that down, forgetting that God is watching. Sometimes we're simply aware and we still go through with it. That would be a pesha. So we're going this progression of types of sins um, that the Kohen Gadol um, atones for. So what does this mean, me and my house? 
So the truth is that some of the terminology that you'll find in the in that voda is not just house, but doesn't refer to the people living in his house, but actually, according to many, refers to avosav, meaning his those who preceded him, which is actually what we do when we say anachnu avosenu chatanu, right? We we atone for we we ask forgiveness for us and our fathers. So what's this idea of asking for us and our fathers? So the Noam Ali Melech says it's a, it's a way of kind of getting out of it. We're saying, don't, it's not my fault. My, I grew up this way, right? Basically, I knew a base, you know, like it's me, it's, it's them as well, so I shouldn't be as, as guilty. Okay, it's a nice Hasidic vart, uh, but if someone would apologize that way, it'd be a pretty lousy apology. It's not, it doesn't really uh, carry too much weight. And, and the, the truth is, the Gemara speaks to the fact that a person, right, the, there's a contradiction between the different sukkim about whether or not Hashem uh, punishes children for the sins of their fathers or not. But one pasuk says, "Poked avon avos albanim," that children do get punished for the sins of their of their parents. So what is? Sorry, yeah, that's right. So here's the deal. So what's pshat? Why, why is it that we get? So why, where does the Havzik Gemara reconcile? The Gemara says that when they hold on to the ways of their fathers, doesn't seem like it makes like how does that make any sense? Meaning, let's say a person sins and their father mother didn't have that sin. One person sins, their father or mother did have that sin. Why should that second person get punished more than the other person? Forget no Mali Malaf's vart, but the point is that why, why is that an extra sin? But I think, and it's good you're here because you could appreciate this. When we're younger, we all say we see areas, flaws that our parents have, not your parents, of course, and we say, I'm not going to do that, right? We see, we have the most, we have the inside scoop. We see in our parents, the areas which we, the shortcomings, and we say, I'm not, I recognize it, I see that. And then one day we wake up and we're like, wow, I am my fill in the blank, right? I became that person, that flaw, which I know better than anyone in the world, I am. And because of that knowledge, we have an extra responsibility to actually eradicate it. So yes, it's specifically the person who holds on to the mistakes of their parents, the person who has that insight, the person who recognizes what it is, and then simply nature, nurture, whatever, falls into it, and that person has greater responsibility, and therefore that is something we have to actually atone for, not just for our own areas, but not only to blame our parents, but to take responsibility for the areas that we have not changed, despite the fact that it may have been our family's issue. Okay. Um, it's worth noting, again, here he doesn't make a fuss about this, um, and, and that is the fact that he does this vidui a couple of times, and there's a progression of sorts. The first time it's his own, the second time it's the Kohanim, and then ultimately it's for Klal Yisrael, right? And these are concentric circles of concern, responsibility, um, which is a general you know, idea when it comes to our responsibility. Sometimes, you know, the people who are focused on the rest of the Jewish people, but forget about their own home. No, the Kohen Gadol, in the base of Megdash, on Yom Kippur, with the whole entire world watching, starts with his he starts with his family because if you cannot take care of your family, then you don't have any right to take care of anyone else. Right? So our first and most obvious and most real responsibility is to those around us, those who are dependent on us. Um, as, as Rabbi Howard likes to say, you know, our spouse only has, you're the only spouse to your possible spouse to your spouse. You're the only parent to your child. Um, every other role, there are other people who could fill those roles. But these are roles that we are, we are the only people in the world who could fulfill that role. And it starts there. So the Kohen Gadol cannot atone and be responsible for everyone else until he takes the responsibility for his own immediate circle, right? So again, uh, Yishai Rebo doesn't get into that over here, but the, the different uh, vidoys that he makes, again, starts at home, and that's where our, the, the, the center of our responsibility is. Okay, and here's where the, the big shtick of his song really takes place. Okay, so let's read these next lines. So if a person were to remember all of the flaws, the shortcomings, the transgressions, and the wrongdoings, 
this is certainly how he would count. Okay, so here, this is the poetic flourish and reimagining of the Avoda, right? One of the parts of the Avoda, which we all say, we're all, we're all singing along, but it's, it's kind of a funny thing when you think about it, because ultimately, he's just keeping track of how to sprinkle the blood, right? The idea of him repeating this one and seven is because he has to make sure that he does one above and seven below. So the way he keeps track, why that helps him keep track is a discussion, but it's basically just a way of keeping track. But it becomes like an avoda, right? We're all like Martin saying it along as if it's as important as the karim mishtachavim umodim. Like it's just, it's funny. Right? It's funny, but what he's suggesting, what he's reimagining in the Avoda is the sense that there is something deeper to that counting, whether that's what the Kohen Gadol was thinking about or not, regardless. But the point is that a way of reimagining and making the, the, this part of the Avoda a very real part. And what he's suggesting the Kohen Gadol is counting over here is specifically counting the Chatayim, the sins. Right? So he, if a person were to remember all of the sins that a person committed, Right? Then, this is how we would count one and one and one and one and two, one and three, one and four, one and five. And when a person would continuously count and recognize and start to really take track, you know, really to take responsibility and think about all the areas that we've fallen short. And not just in a very general sense, but really think about this and start to count. I've sinned in this area and in that area. Yashar hayamit yaesh. Immediately a person would give up. Kilo yachal lekilo yachal hayala seit because he would not be able to carry et root the bitterness hachet et abusha et apispus et hafsid right the shame the missed opportunity and the loss right. If a person were to think about this, it would be overwhelming, and a person would simply break down, which is exactly what takes place next. Right, which is the beauty of this, right? So he transitions from the place of being overwhelmed by the sin to one form of expression. What is hishtachava? What is bowing? Bowing is that sense of brokenness, right? So what happens next? Right, and they'd say, right? The idea is that the bowing over here, at least imagine in this vein, is the sense of being overwhelmed and broken and simply just just can't move on. I'm completely debilitated by thinking about how I've sinned and my bowing is the sense of com- being completely broken completely completely overwhelmed by my recognition of how far far I have fallen how short I've come in my life that's one way of imagining that part, right? So then, as we know, you've all read it, so let's keep on reading and let's see where he goes next. So, again, it's using that, that same terminology of that going back and forth, the place where he was, he steps to the place that he stepped. Panav la Kodesh, Achorav la Heichal, right? This is taken from the, from the Avod itself. His face is towards the Holy of Holies, uh, his back is the Heichal. Uh, below Ravav, Heishavim Pivu Maasav. He is consistent. Um, there is there's consistency between his deeds and his mouth, between his, his mouth and his deeds. Again, it's that constant refrain of back and forth and back and forth again. The path of tshuva, the 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 non consistent, inconsistent, and back and forthness of tshuva. Pasha big day lavan, lavash big day zav. Right, he takes off the white clothing and he puts on the gold clothing. So just let's just take a moment just to appreciate the white and gold clothing. Sorry for going so fast. We're gonna be done at nine o'clock. Uh, but the white and gold clothing over here. Um, so of Hirsch, and, and, and it's a pretty straightforward, right? The notion of white clothing is a sense of submission, right? Um, the sense of, of, of um, purity, but it's a sense of nothingness, right? White is, is, is typically perceived as a sense of nothingness, of completely clean, not just purity, but a sense of nothingness. And Refer suggests that Zahav, that gold, obviously represents beauty and therefore represents a sense of perfection. And there are two different ways that we connect to Hashem. There is the way of, of I have nothing to me, which... I'm going to assume that he was thoughtful in the way he framed this, but the, the first 
paragraph, the section before, was he has the Kohen Gadol bowing in submission in the white clothing, right? The sense of turning to Hashem in a sense of yira, of being overawed and overwhelmed by the presence of Hashem and my nothingness and my patheticness, and therefore being broken and, and by, my, by the, the chataim that I have transgressed over the course of the year. And then there's the sense of the zahav, the sense of the beauty, the sense of the goal, the sense of my, how great I am, like bishvilin olam, the sense of a perfection, the sense of the greatness of the person, and with that in mind, let's see what, what he is um, going to do in that context. Right? Okay. The Omer? The coin battle doesn't pop. Sorry? The coin battle. Correct, correct. He's merging. People and the and the Kohen Gadol together. The Kafe Omer Ana Shem Kapel Chatim Lavonus Babsham again that same refrain. Shechlas Levanachani Yevesi. V'Madam Hayal Yachol Iskar Es Tachasadim Es Hatovot Et Kol Rachamim Et Kol Yishuot. Right. If a person now he switches it. Right. This at this time this, this approach to Hashem and this counting and this coming close to Hashem is no longer about Yira. It's no longer about being broken. It's no longer about submission. But now it's about gratitude. It's about the sense that Hashem that we are worthy of something. That Hashem has a relationship with us. That's the idea of the gold clothing represents the. Beauty, the beauty of Klal Yisrael, the beauty of each and every one of us, and ultimately our relationship with Hashem. So in that light, then now in a person, if a person were to think about all the incredible goodness and start to count, right, all the incredible goodness that Hashem has given us over the course of the year and over the course of our life, betach kacha yamona achas v'achas v'achas v'shtayim, and here... Um, and I will come. I want to elaborate on this. Right. So over here, it's not just one and five and seven, etc. But here, it's just endless. We were to go on if we were to count the chasan and milufin. Right. If we were to start to count and express the incredible amount of times that the, the, every breath we take, all the goodness we have, all, all the blessings we have, we would. It would be endless. It would be thousands upon hundreds of thousands. Nisim niflos, miracles and wonders. Shasinu imanu yamin velelos day and night. Okay, so over here, and really this is the turn and the, the brilliance of the song, where it's that same counting, and it's that same coming close to Hashem, and ultimately in the next paragraph, right, um, the, the sense of, of, of bowing, right, that the goes to the chorus, which, right, he, the, then we bow to Hashem, it's a different sense of bowing, it's the modzim that we are perhaps more familiar with, it's the modzim and turning to Hashem out of gratitude, or the sense of, you know, of modzim and hoda'ah, the sense of recognizing how great Hashem is, and that's this new paradigm, but I don't think coincidentally in the second set, it's more about the infinite goodness as opposed to the infinite sins. When it comes to sins, there's a certain finitude to it. When it comes to our hodah, it comes to our recognition of Hashem, it's infinite. And I shared with some of you a few weeks ago um, an idea from a cook about the shape of the shofar. He says, you know, we start, mina meitzer karasika, and that we call out to Hashem from the constraints, from a constricted place. Anani vamerchavka, you respond to me in a sense of expansiveness, with, with a sense of expansiveness. And the idea is that, yes, we sometimes turn to Hashem with yira. We turn to, turn to Hashem with a certain sense of fear and trepidation as we enter these days. But ultimately, the real avoda on these days is one of recognition, one of, of, of gratitude. Rav Cook, in another piece, and I'm not sure, I don't think I shared this, but in another piece, he speaks about the fact that through hoda'a, through, through gratitude, he says gratitude is one of the most powerful emotions that we have, and through it, and his proof to that, he says, is, is really yiskar. He says, think about it. He says, what brings people out of the woodwork more than anything else? Coming to memorialize their family, right? Coming to memorialize their parents. What's that all about? It's a sense of hoda'a, it's a sense of recognition, a sense of gratitude. Maybe in our lifetime, it's a little hard to express. It's sometimes easier to express after, in the afterlife. But there's a sense of, of deep gratitude and it can move people in ways that, that, that cannot otherwise be moved. Rav Cook suggests that we need the one thing we need to, you know, the, the Mishnah says that when someone does you, the Mishnah Avos says when someone does you a, gives you a gift, they have to tell you. Right? And, and he asks, like, it's a funny thing, right? The Mishnah says, right? If somebody, somebody gives you a present, you have to tell the person. It's kind of strange. It would seem to be, it'd be more selfless 
If I don't tell you, I drop it off at your door and I walk away, right? He's not talking, we're not talking about Aniyam over here. We're talking about just giving a gift to a friend, but still it would be better if I don't tell you who it is. But he says, no, the idea is that if I don't tell you who to thank, I'm robbing you of one of the greatest emotions possible. And that is the healthy emotion of gratitude, a sense of recognizing that someone loves me and being able to express that to the person. And he suggests that the more, he says, it's such a crucial thing. He says, the more we're able to work on that, he says, he, he argues that ultimately the ultimate ge'ula will come through the portal of Hoda. That the more we're able to grow in our gratitude, the more we're able to thank people and thank people and thank people, what happens is we become more and more expansive. Right? I think I shared with on Shabbos morning, right? This idea that, you know, asking uh, students to think about where their pizza came from, right? And it's, it's uh, the farmer and the, the dairy, whatever, et cetera, et cetera. But the more we do so, we're ultimately thinking about Hashem. We're ultimately recognizing that everything comes from Hashem and that extreme expansiveness is ultimately what the gula is. The gula is where everyone's able to recognize that. He says it starts with gratitude. It starts with this recognition and that's why, and it's so much greater, right? We are somewhat limited when we turn to Hashem in a sense of yira, in a sense of, of harata, of, of remorse. We're far more capable of connecting to Him in a far more expansive way when we come through the medium of expansiveness of, of gratitude, and that's what's going on over here. The second set of counting, the turn of the counting, is that we don't have to come to Yom Kippur with a sense of dread and a sense of, of contrition, which we, we do need, but it's not the be-all and end-all. The sense of coming to Yom Kippur, the sense of gratitude, that we are here, and that Hashem has given us so much, and thinking about that, and maybe to think about that, right, as we go through the achas va'achas, I'm sure there'll be many people in the world who will be rethinking about their achas va'achas, because frankly, usually it's kind of, Odd to me. I'll be, you know, it's one of those parts which just don't, doesn't never talk to me, right? But, but so he's spending that time during the achas va'achas and the bowing over there, the, the two types of bowing, the turning to Hashem both in submission, in a sense of being broken, but then also being able to turn to Hashem in a sense of hoda'ah, of a sense of gratitude, is certainly, is certainly the way to go. Now, um, let's just fin- finish, the, finish the, the piece over here. He trembles in the place that he stood. And here is such a beautiful turn of words. Big day atzmo. Right? The term he started off with was Big Day Chol, right? but now it's Big Day Atzmo, it's Atzmiut, it's who he is. Right? The idea of Yom Kippur is that if we go through this whole transition, it's no longer external to us, it's no longer just a cover-up, it's no longer something we are aspiring to, but rather they are the clothes actually fit the man. Right? They fit who we are, it's Lavash Big Day Atzmo, it is the clothing, as, as we've grown, the clothing that we wear, our externalities um, that we've aspired to become part and parcel of who we are, and we actually catch up to that. And then, what he does over here, I think, is brilliant, um, and that is that he concludes, ultimately, with Mari Cohen, right? The beautiful song, Mari Cohen. If you look in the art scroll, just checked here, what's Mari Cohen all about? What's the Yom Tov Haya, Haya Oseh, right? The Mishnahis talk about that. He made the festival. He needs to make this festa meal on, on Matzi, uh, when, when you come back safely. So the, 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 you know, the, the art scroll explains, well, he could have died, Right? We have a Mesorah that many people died in the Kodesh HaKadashim. Me could have died. And therefore, um, you know, he celebrates. He celebrates and that's what it's all about. He's going home and everyone sees him and they're happy that he survived. It's like such a sidebar, that approach. Meaning it's like, okay, I mean, hopefully you survive. Meaning, first of all, it's like pretty scary. You know, like, it's like, it, the whole notion is just like, okay, the, the Yom Kippur's over. And now hap, our Kohen Gadol survived. Baruch Hashem. Let's make a party. It's a student's not It's important, but it's a sidebar to everything else. He survived. Thank God, and therefore we're going to celebrate. But what, what I like about the song, I don't know if he did this deliberately or not, is the fact that he places Mari Cohen as part of the Avoda, which it really in many ways is, and really interspersed that with Ashri Amshkach Halo, Ashri Amshashem Elokav, right? The Kohen Gadol, uh, speaking of this a little bit more in Yom Kippur, is, is in, uh, represents us, right? Meaning the Kohen Gadol ultimately is, 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 is a stand-in for all of us, always, but specifically on Yom Kippur. 
And there is the sense of the fact that, yes, he survived, but more than survived, he had this moment of intimacy with Hashem like no other. He goes into the Kodesh HaKadosh more than once and does this intricate and, and intimate avoda on Yom Kippur. And he comes out, right? And this brilliant glow is not the Kohen Gadol alone. It's the Kohen Gadol representing the Am, right? The whole song of Mari Kohen is not about, it's not about this Kohen Gadol. Like, who is this Kohen Gadol? It's, it's us. It's ultimately a celebration of, the fa- of our representative having this connection. We see it. It's the mirror. The Kohen Gadol is the Mare Kohen. It's the sense of that, that he is the Mare, in the sense that it's a mirror to who we are. And the Kohen Gadol is our representative. And seeing that brilliance, seeing that joy, seeing the, the Chut Shal Chesed, seeing the, 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 all the incredible qualities and the joy that he's able to experience after going through Yom Kippur, that's our experience. And that's part of Yom Kippur. Again, we, we, we focus on Yom Kippur, and it's really the focus of the song, and it's really the important avodah of Yom Kippur. It's not a sad day. Yes, there are the Inuyim, but ultimately it's a Yom Tov. Okay, maybe it is sad. We could, we could debate that. But certainly there's an element of it, which is certainly a Yom Tov like no other. It is a happy day like no other. And, and the, the, the Kohen Gadol at the end of the avodah coming out, and that celebration is a representation of this notion of the joy of Yom Kippur. It's not a sidebar. It's not the, the epilogue to the story. It is the culmination. It's the climax of the story. It's when we're able to appreciate the fact that we have this relationship as represented in the Kohen and that's the idea of which is that last refrain is we're incredibly lucky we're incredibly fortunate that we have this type of relationship we do not have a base of Megdash but we certainly it's a day still to celebrate and God willing we should be Zoha to see the Avoda to witness the Avoda in all of its grandeur and here of Yemenu